My name is Braden Rodriguez. I'm our student and 1825 pastor here at our Delaware campus. And in typical Kale fashion, even though he's out on sabbatical, he gave me uh, probably the weirdest text of the entire series. So uh, pray for me uh, this morning as I talk about why bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. So uh, if you are a member regular attender, thank you so much for uh, joining in with us again. Thank you guys for uh, just walking with us through the season as Kale has been out for, I think it's the last five weeks he's been out. And uh, we're coming to an end of his sabbatical. Uh, I'm preaching this week and next week. And so uh, we'll actually have the same person two weeks in a row. Uh, so I'll be a familiar face to you next week. And then uh, Rick Morris, who's uh, a dear member here that we uh, love and who is an amazing teacher, he's going to be bringing us in home as the anchor for the last week of our series uh, and so we're very grateful for all of the men uh, who came and preached over this last, uh, like I said, five weeks. And uh, we're thankful for Rick, who's going to be closing us down. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, I want to offer a warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we know there's a lot of great churches in the area, and we're just honored that you would come and worship with us this morning as the body of Christ. I want to point your um, uh, attention to uh, lpguest.com. If you're a first-time guest, second, third-time guest, maybe you've never even been to this website, and you would just like to know what it is. I would encourage you to go there. There's a lot of resources there, even if you're not a guest, but mainly for the guests, uh, I want to point you there. You can follow along with our message notes from there, uh, but mainly I want to point you to the guest information card this morning. Uh, just go there, click on that. You can do that right now. It'll take about 60 to 90 seconds to fill out. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit what you're interested in here at LifePoint Church, uh, and then what will happen is someone will get that, and we will try to get you most meaningfully connected in the quickest way possible. Uh, we want to make sure that you get connected and plugged in and uh, people pass along the information that you're curious about because we know that you come and you're interested. They did some analytic studies. Like we know that you're already looking at our website before you come, most of you, and, and you're curious and you want to know you're, all of the things about us. And so this is a great way to get plugged in with someone at our church so that we can talk to you more about some of those things. And then lastly, at the bottom of that guest information portion, there's a list of ministry that we partner with here in Central Ohio. And if you'll just select one of those, we'll donate $5, your honor. We say it every week, no strings attached. It's just a thank you for being here. And honestly, even if you're like, all right, I don't really wanna know a lot of information, just at least do that part so we can give uh, to our partners. We love being able to do that and we would love to know a little bit about you. But maybe uh, you've not been here for the last few weeks because of vacation or anything like that, or maybe you are a guest with us this morning. Let me catch you up to speed on where we've been uh, this summer. We've been in this series called Under the Sun, and we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't ask me how to spell it, but um, it's just as hard to spell as it is to read. But uh, we've been walking through this series in Ecclesiastes, and one of the main lines that he says all throughout these 12 chapters is, one, vanities of vanities or meaningless, meaningless, and under the sun. And when he says under the sun, he doesn't mean under this big ball of fire that we call the sun in the sky. What he's meaning is this breadth of life, everything under the sun. It's while we are alive, and then that, go back to that first statement, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, vapor of vapors, breath of breath. All of these things that we have tried under the sun are just meaningless vanity, vapor, and breath. And you're like, oh, that's why this book is so hard. If you're new with us this morning, it's because he walks into essentially his existential crisis and then just writes it down for the rest of antiquity and history to read. 
The main idea of this series that we've been walking through is this, is though everything under the sun is vanities of vanities, God can offer us a full life and a meaningless world. That God can offer us a full life and an empty world. And a world of stuff that is unsatisfactory, God can do something more. We'll talk more about grace in, in, a, in a minute, but that song that we just sang, my testimony, that grace can rewrite a story that God's salvation grace can rewrite everything about your life, that everything can go from meaningless vapor, breath, here now, and gone tomorrow, to everything can be rewritten, and it can have meaning. I was uh, reading in the book of Jeremiah, or I still am reading the book of Jeremiah in my quiet time, and uh, every year I, I get to this passage, God looks at the people through Jeremiah the prophet and says, people, look, you've committed two evils in my eyes. The first evil is this, is that you've forsaken the fountain of living water. Namely, you've walked away from God, the one who can satisfy you in every fiber of your being. Second evil, and you've made your own cisterns or wells or buckets or whatever you want to call it, and yet they hold no water. I think that's what Solomon's trying to get to the point of, is that God can fulfill and satisfy every fiber of your being, but the evil that we have committed under the sun is that we've started to dig our own wells and our own buckets, and they're broken and shattered and have cracks, and they will hold no water. God offers us a full life, a meaningful life, and a very empty world. And honestly, as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, especially as I came to this text in particular that we're going to be in today, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, you can go ahead and do that. We're going to be in the uh, last half of 8 and the first half of chapter 9. Uh, the, the hardest part about coming to this text is when I begin to, begin to read it, it's hard, and, it's, and, it, and it's, it's hard to wrestle with. And as we've walked through this series, I feel like we've said that every week. That, man, the book of Ecclesiastes is hard, and if you've been on our app and you've been following along with the reading plan and devotions, I'm sure you've thought the same thing. Or maybe you've just tried to give Ecclesiastes a dry-run read-through, and you're like, I just don't like it. And I think there's a reason in which the book of Ecclesiastes is so hard, and if you don't mind, if, I'm, if I nerd out on you for a minute, I want to just talk about why I think personally it is so hard, and I think many of us can relate. But it's going to take us just a minute to take a step back and look at the Old Testament as a holistic view. As I was struggling through this text and trying to prepare to preach it, I found one of my old college textbooks. It's called Grasping God's Word. It's a great resource. If you don't have it, you should buy it. If you're not into textbooks, you shouldn't buy it. But anyway, um, Grasping God's Word is by these two authors, last name Duvall and Hayes. They talk about how to to teach through, preach through, and write papers on different literatures of the Old Testament and New Testament. And in particular, he talks about the wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. You've got the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon. And they talk about why they're so hard to deal with. Whenever we come to to terms and come to grips and start to try to grab a hand to the uh, wisdom books, he says they're holistically different, essentially, than the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament, if you go read it, the first five books called the Pentateuch is full of laws. It's a full book of do's and do nots. And then you go read about how the people don't fulfill the do's and do nots. And God says, okay, now go and do and go and do not do these things. 
And then you get to the wisdom books, and it's like, uh, and you start to scratch your head. It's like not a lot of like pointed black and white uh, things to do. And then you get to the prophets, and then it has this moment where God is coming to these people, and he says, thus saith the Lord. Well, what does God end up saying? Believe, do this, don't do this. Repent for the kingdom, right? It's going to be falling under the weight of your iniquity and under your sin if you don't stop. But then we jump back to the wisdom and we look at it again and it's like, well, he didn't really tell me like exactly what to do here. Duvall and Hayes will go on to talk about the difference is all of the rest of the Old Testament gives us black and white, do this, don't do this. But when we come to the wisdom book, especially Ecclesiastes, the challenge is think. And many of us don't even like to sit alone in our thoughts. I know I don't. That if I become upset or angry, the last thing I need to do is sit by myself. I remember a time I, uh, I got in an argument with my, uh, argument, is a disagreement uh, with, with my, uh, who is my now wife. We were having a conversation about money. Anybody can relate to that. Uh, we were having a conversation about money, and I vehemently disagreed with what she had to say. I got in the car, drove 30 minutes to work, and by the time I made it to work, I was ready to burn the whole building down and quit my job, right? Like, unrelated to everything that we had just talked about, I was ready to just, like, you know, just walk off the job site and just be done. And I think most of the time that's where we get in the issue. The problem is that when we come to the challenge of think, we don't like it. And all of the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon, think. And they talk about belief requires action, but thinking also requires action. That when we get left alone with our thoughts and we get left alone with God and the challenge to think about these hard things come, we don't like it because then it forces us to move to action. We would rather the list of black and white things. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 starts with the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom literature starts with the presupposition that you have a relationship with God. And then also you go then read through Proverbs and you go read through Psalms and all these other wisdom books. And it says this, it says, hey, generally this is how the world works. Good things happen to those who love the Lord. Bad things happen to people who don't. And generally, that's what it seems to unfold as, right? You see like, wow, they're like following Jesus. They've got a pretty good life. And then in Psalm chapter 1, right, uh, Jeremy Westbrook, who came just a few weeks ago, preached on that. It says, blessed is the way uh, of the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his word day and night. He's like a tree planted by a stream of water. And then you go back to Psalm chapter 1, and it says, Pretty much blessed is not the way, right, when you're walking in sin. So there's a real reality to that, that often the way that the world works is that if you follow God, it's, it, it will probably work out for you. But then when you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon doesn't say that. I'm not saying that the Bible contradicts itself. What Solomon says is, hey, it doesn't always work that way. Because the text that we're going to jump into this morning says bad things do happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, and we begin to read his existential crisis for 12 chapters long, and then by the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he gives us the solution. So we have to read through 12 chapters of problems, get to the last like two verses before Solomon will ever tell us how we fix it. 
And honestly, church, I can't wait till the last week of the series for you to know how it's fixed. And I think all of our preachers have done a very good job at this. But you need to know this is that your whole duty, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says that you are to fear God, obey his commandments. This is your whole duty. What does that mean? Have a relationship with the God of all of creation. Because all 12 chapters of frustration and struggle and I don't know what's going on and this has failed me, this is vapor, this is meaningless, comes to a head when Solomon says, hey, follow him. You're gonna struggle. It's going to be hard. Things won't make sense, but especially if you don't follow God. Especially if you don't have a true, deep, real relationship with God. You can write this down if you're a note taker. If not, it's okay. One must have a relationship with God or there is no solution, there is no consolation, and there is only struggle and frustration. With God, there are solutions There is consolation. There is hope. There may be struggle and frustration, but that is not how our lives are marked when we begin to walk with God. Yes, hardships and trials and struggles will come, but as Wesley just said, there's hope. We're not just going nowhere, and we're not just going somewhere. We're going to someone. There's a hope in which we can walk in right now with Jesus, when we walk with him, have a relationship with him, and because there's a hope for the future as well. That we know that God is going to come and he's going to correct all things. Typically what happens is we, we begin to read through the text, and if you know how, how I like to preach, I like to preach line by line, verse by verse, and that's how I like to do it. We'll save the gospel presentation towards the end. We'll pray and we'll do it. I can't wait till the end. Because everything that we're going to talk about in chapter 8 and chapter 9, if you don't know Jesus, there is no hope. Because you're going to end up like Solomon, you're going to end up depressed, and you're going to end up not knowing where to be if there is no hope in your life, if there is no hope for the future, and if there is no hope for right now. The hope of the future and the hope of right now is that Jesus, the God of the universe, stepped out of his holy throne, came to this earth, and became one of us. That God would put on flesh, and he would live. And not only did he just come to live, he came to live and to die, to be the sacrifice for sin in which we earned. It says that all man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Solomon is going to point to that as well in this text. That we have all failed God in the do's and the do-nots, and the challenge to think points even further into the direction that we need some sacrifice, someone in our place, because we cannot attain the goal. So Jesus comes, he fulfills all of the 613 Levitical laws, all of the thus saith the Lord's. He comes and he fulfills those. He dies on a cross in our place, is dead for a literal, real three days in the grave, and then what? He raises again. He takes the sacrifice on his shoulders, our sin upon his shoulders, death upon his shoulders. He dies, is raised again, and by the grace of God, we can now have life in his name that we can have hope in his name, our story can be rewritten in his name, that there can be consolation in his name, that there can be hope in Jesus' name, that he would raise. And now it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says now we have a great high priest, one who intermediates on our behalf before God, and he says he is able to sympathize in our weakness and in our struggle and our frustration 
that, that word sympathize in the Greek means to co-suffer. That he knows what we went through, what we go through, and what we will go through. That Jesus is one who is able to co-suffer with us. Why? Because God did it for us. The last part of the gospel is probably my favorite part of the gospel. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I am forgiven. But it says that one day he's coming back. And he wants me. Not only did he just save me, he wants to be with me. That I have a God in heaven who created me, who wanted me, who fathers me, who adopted me. That one day it says Jesus is going to come back and he's going to call from all of the earth his people. And we will get to be living out what Wesley read in Revelation, that there is one who, there is no need for the temple anymore. There is no need for the sunlight anymore. I actually was going to preach on that later in my sermon, but Wesley stole the thunder, so here we are just bringing it to the front. He's, he's literally going to be the light for us, that there is hope that one day we'll walk into eternity. Every tear in our eye, it says he will wipe away. That the pain and the sorrow and the struggle which I know right now many of you live in, myself, our leaders, our volunteers included, that there is struggle and hardship that we live in right now, yes, but one day he will wipe all of those tears away. There's hope right now that he offers and there's a hope for the future that he offers. And honestly, if you don't have the gospel in your life, if you don't have Jesus in your life, if he has not changed your heart by his very graciousness, and everything that I'll say today means nothing. That you'll, you'll walk out of here and there is no hope. If you'll just think with me for a second, I said typically what we do is save the gospel presentation for the end, but I can't wait till the end. I need you to know that there's a hope right now. It says that the way to receive the hope is to believe that Jesus did what I just said he did. That you believe that he came to earth, that he died on a cross for your sin. It says believe in your heart that truth. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Today, maybe you're like, I, look, I don't have any hope. I walked in this place without hope and I expected to leave without hope. I'm in the middle of trial and struggle and hardship. And I'm not saying that if you give your life to Jesus today, the struggle and trial and hardship are going to disappear because that is not the promise. The promise is comfort and peace even in the midst of those things in Jesus name I would beg and ask I got to watch about 20 of our students give their lives to Jesus at camp just about a week ago God is not just in the business of saving children he is he's in the business of saving all of us I don't care if you're 70 I don't care if you're 100 I don't care if you're 40 30 who however old Jesus offers salvation today. Let's pray and we'll read the text. Father, we love you. We, we give you all glory and honor for you are the only one worthy. God, I pray that in this moment right now that somebody would know you right now for the first time. Father, that today they would leave with hope. God, even in the midst of struggle and trial, that they would leave with hope. God, as we open your word and we read your word, we ask that you would till up the soils of our hearts. Father, would you let your word take deep root and would it produce 30, 60, and 100 fold? Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? All for the sake of your son, who's our savior. We pray these things 
In Jesus' name. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this, that this also is vanity. So Solomon starts out today, he says, look, here's what I've seen under the sun. Bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go with him his whole toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under the sun, how neither the day nor the night does one eye see sleep, then I saw all the works of God. And that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So what is he saying? He continues on and saying, look, like I've seen this. It doesn't make sense to me. What I thought was the rational order of life, I've seen that it's not always that bad things do happen to good people. Good things do happen to bad people. That's essentially what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, Everything that I've tried, right, we've talked about sex and we've talked about money and alcohol and all of these accumulations of things that Solomon has tried. He then goes to bring us another thing. He said, I tried another thing under the sun and I tried to use my brain. He says, I tried to understand. I tried to look into the ways of God and yet when I walked up to it and I tried to use my brain to figure out God, he says, I couldn't. That even my wisdom failed me in this task under the sun. And then he says, and then there's going to be someone out there who walks up and says, I understand the ways of God. And he says, essentially, nope, they can't. That there is no way to fully understand what God is doing. And then he lays it out in the rest of chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God, whether it is love or hate or man does not know, but both are before him. It is the same for all, since all the same events happen to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to those who offer sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And as he who swears, uh, as he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. What is he saying? Hey, the sun still came up on everybody. The sun still went down on everybody. Rain happened to good people. Rain happened to bad people. He says this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same events happen to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. The next point that he points out is exactly what we just said. Every person is not really all that good. He says, every person's heart is wicked. It reminded me of that scene from the Batman where Batman is facing down Bane. And Bane looks at him. He says, I was born in the dark. That's essentially this moment that Solomon is coming to the grips with. It's like he's just watched Christopher Nolan's the last you know, installment in the Batman series. He's like, he was born in the dark. But he who is joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate, their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more, uh, they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. If we just pause and take a moment right there as well, what we see is that Solomon has no hope for death. 
Solomon, I don't think, has a full picture. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see that these writers, that these key figures, really do, it seems like they just live to live. And they talk about death as this place called Sheol, and there was a common thought in the Jewish day that that was just it. That if you live, you die, and you go to Sheol, and it's done. Many people think that today. And then you see that Jesus comes, and he says, no, 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 no. There's more than that. There's more than just to live a life and die and be done. He says, I'm coming. There's going to be a good place for you, for those who believe. He, Solomon will then go on to say in verse 7, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine then with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife of whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Essentially, Solomon then says, okay, if you're going to live and you're going to die, he says, then enjoy I don't think what he's saying is to go live some debaucherous life because what he says is he says, yes, eat, drink, God knows what you do. But then he qualifies the statement with let your garments be white. That's often a a sign in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament of living in purity. Let your garments be white. He's not saying just throw caution to the wind, go eat and drink, be gluttonous, be drunkards. I think what he's saying is just saying as you live, Find enjoyment in life and also live in purity. And then he goes, he says, let not oil be lacking on your head. This is a sign oftentimes of anointment. That they would go anoint kings. They would go anoint priests. They would go anoint prophets with oil upon their heads. So I don't think, again, he's saying throw caution to the wind. Just go live a debaucherous life because everything's meaningless. What I do think he says is, hey, yes, live. Don't live in this constant state of despair but also follow God, right? Because we fast forward to the end of chapter 12, and that's what he's going to say. He says, your whole duty is to have relationship with him. And then he continues on in verse 10, and we come to a close here with the text. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there is uh, is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But the time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught uh, in an evil or snared, excuse me, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the child, the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon him. What does he say? We're all going to die. If you want to write down the main point of the sermon today, it's this, is that Jesus offers hope under the rain cloud. Where are we at today in this text? We call this series Under the Sun, which is like, I get it, right? That's a common statement that he said all throughout the text. What I think we should have called this series is Under the Rain Cloud, because as we read through Solomon's existential crisis, as we read through Solomon's letter, we find out that he's pretty much depressed. And when I think about the sun, like, look at this, look at this right here. Like, don't you all want to be there, right? Like, laying on the beach with, like, palm trees. I was just in Florida for my best friend's wedding, and, like, the sun's setting on the beach. Like, I, when I see this and we see, like, under the sun, I think of, like, happy and cheery joy, right? I get, like, what he's saying is, like, live this life. What I feel like we should have called this series, though, is under the rain clouds because in every little, like, cartoon when anyone has anything bad happen to them, which Solomon, it's pretty much this whole book, there's just, like, rain and thunder and lightning clouds, like, just sitting right above 
above their head and they like walk around pouting and the cloud just follows them. And I think that's where we are today. I think that when we read this text, all I see is rain clouds. That my man is utterly depressed. That in this span of life, we just live to die. Oftentimes, that's where many of us get. that We get depressed. We lose faith, especially in the midst of our hardship and our struggles and our trials and our sufferings. As Solomon has essentially done here. And he's like, we're just going to live to die. And we walk around with rain clouds above our heads. We look at the, the reality of life and it doesn't work the way that we think it should work. That we see bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, at least in our standard of the way that we look. And it helps others and it hurts us. And we get treated bad and we die. And all we have is depression and rain clouds above our heads that we're soaking wet all of the time. I think that Solomon is getting to a, to a point here, and I don't think there was this theological phrase back then, but the, the theological phenomena that, that Solomon is pointing to is something that we call now today common grace. That although we are all sinners, the sun will still come up. And although we are all sinners, the sun will still go down. And God does not smite us for the way in which we've acted or the way in which we deserve. God gives us a grace, no matter if you know him or not, that is common. He still lets us live. And the reason I think... That God does this. And I think Solomon is coming to this place. I really do think that God offers us this taste of common grace so that we might want more. Right? We just talked about a grace that rewrites stories. A grace in which God would come to earth and die in our place. That he would extend an offering past just waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night. That he wants something more for us and that he wants to truly satisfy us. That he gives us a taste of common grace so that we might see his full grace on display at the cross and say, I want more. But what inevitably happens is that whenever we taste the grace, we begin to seek for it everywhere else. That we try all of the things that Solomon has tried. Sex, money, alcohol, food, accumulation, and all of these other things. We've been preaching through the fruits of the Spirit this summer with our college students, our 18 to 25-year-olds. And one of the things that I've said throughout that is that with, you know, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think that God also comes and lets us try a little bit of those too. That he says, hey, look, there is a common love out there. And maybe you've experienced it through the love of a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or a friend or whoever. But you taste a little bit of love and you're like, man, I need, I just can't put my finger on it. But I want more of that. And there's this joy that, man, I, I just went and I just played a round of golf and I shot 72. That's a lie. But anyway, like, and I find joy in that, but I just need more. I just need more of that, more peace. And I wish I was just a little more patient, a little more kind. And we get all of these glimpses in which God wants for us. And he's just pointing back to himself. He says, I can satisfy the want. I can give you what you need. So come. I can give you the full grace. I can give you the full love. Even when it feels like the clouds are hanging above your head, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of what seems to be not fair, I have it. Just grab a hold of my hand. 
Essentially, it was God's looking down and saying, he's reaching down. He says, just grab a hold. I can give you full grace. I can give you full love. You can be satisfied even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't understand, even when your wisdom fails you. I've got it. Hold on. In the midst of the rain clouds, in the midst of the suffering and the trials and the hardship, not a moment with God is wasted. Not a moment with God is wasted. That in the midst of trial, suffering, those clouds, with God, not a moment of it is wasted. Without God, we already said, there, there's not a hope. It just, we just keep wanting more. We just keep getting these glimpses of like, man, I just need something. I just need something. But when Jesus is in, there is hope. And not one of those moments is wasted. We're going to throw up a slide here on the screen of a few different verses. And I would encourage you to take a picture, write this down. All of these passages are about suffering, hardship, trials, but all from the perspective of those who walk with Jesus. This is what 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 would say. It says, you're grieved by trials. Anybody? Just me. Cool. All right. We're grieved by trials. Yes. But then he goes on to say, he likens our faith to gold. It says, as gold is passed through fire, your faith, which is more precious than gold. It says that as we walk through these grievous trials, yes, there is a faith that is more precious than gold. And if we're going to pass gold through a fire, how much more should our faith also be passed through it? And it says, in those hardships, in those grievous trials, it will result in praise and glory. Not a moment is wasted. And that's the Apostle Peter. That's like right hand of Jesus, right? He's like coming in heavy and hard. He's like, hey, man, I know you're walking through it. I know it's hard. I know you don't understand. But here's the reality that it's going to result in praise and glory. And then we've got on the left hand the Apostle Paul, the other heavy-hitting apostle, writer of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says, suffering of Christ, essentially, yes, there is things that come into our life and they're hard and then they, we suffer. But then he says that we are comforted. That in our suffering, God comforts so that we might comfort someone else. Not a moment of that suffering is wasted because God is going to come and there's a hope that he promises and that is comfort by his Holy Spirit. And then it says that then we can take that comfort that in which we received and give it away to someone else. And I love this part of the verse. He says, comfort abounds through Christ. He continues on. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 through 18. Affliction prepares us for an eternal weight of glory beyond compare. That the affliction, the struggle, the hardship, the suffering, yes, it is hard. Jesus comes and he comforts. Comfort abounds. And he says it's working towards a moment in which we will get to be with God and there is an eternal weight of of glory in which we will get to see. Paul talks a little bit more about that in Romans 8:18. 8, says, "Yes, we suffer now," essentially is what it says. I'm paraphrasing here. So we suffer now. And yet that suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory to come. That yes, suffering is real, hardships are real, trials are real. 
God comforts us now in them. But he says, one day, yes, we have a hope for now, but one day there's a hope for the future. And that those things that are hard and, and, and troublesome, those things don't just melt away, but one day when we get to be with the one who made us and get to be with the one who wants us and the one who satisfies us, he says all of those things in collection will be not even worth comparing to how good it will be, the consolation and the hope of Jesus to come. I want to end with a, a, a song lyric I want us to just think about for a moment. I'm not sure if you're a Christian hip-hop fan. I'm not necessarily a big Christian hip-hop fan, but I do love this song. It's called Lost. It's by an artist named Andy Minio. He, he, in this song, he writes this gospel chorus, and it's actually really beautiful, the, the song, the way it's written and composed. If you're a music nerd, go check it out. It's awesome. But there's this gospel chorus in there. He says, when I get above the clouds, I know that the sun's out. We're going to be all right. When I get above the clouds... I know that the sun's out. I'm going to be all right. He ends the song with a voicemail in which he leaves on a team member's phone who's working on their creative team. And he explains what he means in that gospel chorus. He says this. He says, I got, a, he says, I got it. I think I've got a cover idea for the first EP. He says, I had this moment where I was on a plane. We were at LGA, and we were getting ready to take off, and it just looked gloomy and dark like lightning and thunder. I didn't even think we were going to take off. Anyways, we started to take off, and the pilot was like, yo, you know, brace yourself. There's going to be some turbulence. And we started to go through the clouds, and everything was shaking, and I thought we were going to die. But when we got through the clouds, it looked like California. It was sunny, and it was bright, and it was beautiful. And it was like I had almost forgotten for a second that the sun even existed. I had this moment where, like, Yo, the sun is still here. It was here the whole time. I just couldn't see it. I don't know. It just spoke to me. And he continues on. We've all had that moment. Been on a plane. There's a lot of clouds. It's kind of dark. It's gloomy. And the pilot's like, you know, wear your seatbelt. Because we're going to, they call it rough air. Ugh, I hate it. Anyway. And it's dark, and it's raining, and it's cloudy. I remember the first time I ever flew, I was flying into Guatemala City International Airport, and it's raining, it's dark, it's lightning, it's thunder. The tarmac's soaking wet, and there's probably hundreds of people on this plane. I was like, we're dead. We're going to slide off the side of this runway. I, literally, I, lit, I remember those thoughts. They should have never brought me on that trip, by the way. I just, it, was, it was a long way. I was very nervous the whole time. And then people like my wife who are like, yeah, let's go, turbulence. I'm like, shh, shut your face, all right? <laughs> in, the, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that turbulence. And so anyway, I'm sorry. I, I'm, let's get serious for just a second. Sorry. I'm the student pastor. Sorry. It's rain. It's dark. We've all had those moments right, on physical planes, driving, whatever, been in our lives. We've had moments where we've looked up and all it is is dark, storm, lightning, thunder. And what it feels like is I'm going to die. This is hard. This is too much to bear. And yet what he says is when we broke through, it was like sunny California the sun is still out. I'm going to be all right. 
There's a perspective shift that happens when the grace comes in that rewrites a story. That though, yes, we might be on this side of the clouds, there's a hope. And oftentimes in life, the clouds break and we finally see the sun. And we hope. And maybe the encouragement for you today is maybe you still haven't seen the clouds break. Maybe, there's a, maybe they'll never break on this side of eternity. But know this, there is a hope that one day you'll break through the clouds, the sun is out, and we're going to be all right. There's hope now, and there's hope for the future. Would you bow and pray with me? God, First, for, for the people who today walked in here hopeless and, and, and didn't have you, Father, I pray again that they would know you. But, Father, for the, for the rest of us who have walked through suffering, trial, and hardship, and maybe we just need some hope, Father, would you provide it today for our hearts? Father, would you give someone the, the perspective shift God, that the, that let them know that the sun is out. That we're going to be okay in your hands. Your word promises that nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Not height, depth, angel, demon. No present thing, no past thing, no thing to come will separate us from you. Nothing, the promise of the scriptures, nothing will pluck us from your hand. Would you give us hope today? Would you give us comfort today as your word promises? Father, as we live here under the sun, would you show us the light of your son? Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all glory and honor for you, the only one worthy of it.